chapter number 10 that heavy involvement in missions will put the church and the pastor and the preachers and the people in the middle of the arena of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not a subject I talk a whole lot about because most of the preachers I know that really got the preaching on it a whole lot got full of the devil themselves. It got fashionable for a while for people to teach and preach on spiritual warfare and challenging the devil. It's never worked out real good for those people. I'm not sure you want to be uh, challenging the devil. But on the other hand, neither should we roll over and play dead when the devil shows up. For if God be for us, who can be against us? And we're more than conquerors through him that loves us. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we know that we uh, got the victory at Calvary <clears throat> when Satan was defeated. But Satan works overtime to stop the gospel of Christ from being carried to what Paul calls in verse 16, the regions beyond you. Which is how we know this chapter is still talking about missions. Paul in this chapter addresses the, da the dangers that get upon us when we are focusing on getting the gospel to the regions beyond through the grace of giving to missions.
And he calls it, he calls it warfare. In verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare. You know, we've seen a lot of images lately on the, the internet and television, wherever you get your news. We've seen a lot of images lately of modern day warfare. A little bit of what it looks like. I saw a Ukrainian young woman sitting in a bombed out apartment or house everything in there destroyed except for her baby grand piano. Everything else was totally destroyed. And she said she looked around, everything was broken. It looked like everything in the house was totally worthless. She set out that piano and lo and behold she was a concert pianist. And just played beautifully. And even some fires burning in her yard from the destruction of the weapons in the Russian military. And she just sat down and played like she didn't have a care in the world. And I thought that's more faith than most Christians have. But she understood that that warfare was out of her control. There had to be a power bigger than her and stronger than her to deal with that. So since there was nothing she could do about it, she just depended on somebody else to take care of it. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to Spiritual warfare against the attacks of Satan. That is an enemy that's bigger than we are. Amen. Stronger than we are in and of ourselves. But by faith, we can look to him who is stronger than we are and trust him to either deliver us from the devil Or give us over to his abuse. There are a lot of innocent people in Ukraine who don't understand why they're suffering, what they're suffering. And some Christians get the idea that Christians don't have to suffer like that. But there's Christians in Ukraine that are suffering the same thing that the lost people are suffering. And we're not above becoming a target whether lost backslidden saved or even sanctified we can all come under attack and especially since what we're doing is an aggravation to the enemy amen And evidently, whatever Ukraine was doing as a nation was aggravating Putin. 
Because he attacked him like an aggravated man. It was merciless. It was unprovoked. We are in the dangers of warfare when we determine by the grace of God we're going to do everything in our power to give and to go and to pray until the message gets to the regions beyond. Pretty dedicated when people start hopping on airplanes and flying into the war zone to try to deliver survival goods. That's pretty dedicated. That's charging right into the teeth of the adversary. Which is why we're praying around the clock. He addresses these dangers. He addresses the destroyers who Satan uses to try to hinder and destroy the people who are giving to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Verse 2, he said, uh, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now when I think of the Apostle Paul, I don't think there's a guy that's walking according to the flesh. But that's what they were saying about him, and that's what they were thinking about him. And he knew that's what they were thinking about him. But instead of challenging them, he just keeps carrying the gospel to the regions beyond. Doesn't have time to lower himself other than to warn these Corinthians that what they're thinking will hinder the missions giving at Corinth and in the church if they listen to these people about what they're thinking about Paul walking in the flesh. Why would they make that accusation? Because they had no other accusation to make. He lived above reproach. Once he got born again, he was dedicated to living right and in the spirit and in the power of God. So they couldn't find anything else, so they just went to these, this thought of these offerings he's taken up. Yeah, yeah, that apostle Paul, he says he's an apostle, you know, but you know, he was not one of the original 12. He just elected himself. He really is not worthy of being an apostle. He's a self-proclaimed apostle. And he goes around taking up offerings all the time, which is what people walking in the flesh right. do. Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. 
They are destroyers who are putting out this accusation that he was walking in the flesh. The people that hate us say that about Shady Acres. Right. We worship in the flesh. We give in the flesh. Yeah, Brother Daddy, he gets up there, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 30,000. <laughs> it's just in the flesh. Jealous. They hate us for it. While we're shouting the victory. Yeah. Yeah. While we give our money away. Yeah. <laughs> having a good time in the war. Yeah. And helping people to the to in the regions beyond. Yes, sir. Amen. One lady was coming to church pretty regularly until we took up that offering, that sixty-five thousand dollar offering on Sunday night. She said, I don't understand. They took up $65,000. Somebody crossed the ocean. And I need a car. She hadn't been back. You know what she didn't know? I had the car. I was just waiting for the paperwork to get That's all I was waiting for because I wanted to give her a car with a clear title. She got offended at that offering to get the gospel to the regions beyond because her situation was more needy than that situation. I'm sad about that. I thought I had it worked out. We were going to be a great blessing. But she's gone. I'm not going to give it to her to try to get her to come back. You get offended over an offering to help somebody in the regions beyond, you're not going to fit in well around here. Amen. Amen. That's one of the greatest blessings we've had. 22. Was that offering? Yeah. So we get accused of walking in the flesh. He addresses the dangers and the destroyers and the discipline that it takes to survive the attacks of Satan. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. To be involved in missions and to survive the attacks of Satan requires discipline, self-control, in the sense of the Spirit of God giving you the power to control yourself. If we all just did what we wanted to do, we would all be in a mess. 
You cannot afford to just say, well, this is what I want to do, and go do it. You cannot afford to do that. Your imagination will get carried away. But you know what that dear lady's imagination was telling her? We didn't care about her. But that's pure imagination. That's pure imagination. You got to cast that stuff down or the devil will blow you out. I couldn't tell you how many people have left the Shady Edges Baptist Church because... Nobody likes me in this church. They're not very friendly to me at this church. Hang around long enough to get to know us. Yeah. Keep coming back. You'll find out. Somebody will be friends with you. We got all kinds. <laughs> And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you have a thought and it troubles you about somebody in the church, anybody in the church, if you have a thought and it troubles you, you better just bring that thought into captivity and don't go any further with it. Don't even go say, oh, you thought about so-and-so, you know, are they friendly towards you? As soon as you start talking like that, Satan's got a fiery dart to fire somebody. He specializes in that. You can just have a bad day, and if you're not careful, you'll say something that you'll wish you could take back, but you know what? You can't ever take it back after you say it. Jesus said we're, we're going to give account for every idle word one of these days. Every idle word. And I've always illustrated that as like a car idling. It's running, but it's not going anywhere. Idle words. If somebody just, the motor's running, but the car's not going anywhere. Yeah. Except maybe to overheat. You leave a car idling too long? Oh yeah. I did that one time. Took a bunch of young people to an Astros game. Parking garage, and there's all these kids. They were talking, and it was noisy, and all this confusion. I'm trying to keep my eye on everybody. I'm in the parking garage, and I'm trying to say, "Okay, everybody, stick with me. Keep where you can see me." Blah 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 blah. blah. Get out, lock the doors. Go in, and watch the ball game. Game's over. Get to the parking garage. There's my suburban sitting there running. Oh, man. With the keys in it. And the door's locked. Oh, man. Because of all this confusion that I wasn't used to. And there's all these other people and people, and I didn't even hear the motor running. And I'm trying to gather up all these kids, keep my eye on them. Last thing I want to happen is somebody to walk out in front of a car and get hit, and then I'm responsible. and I got out there, you could feel the heat coming off of that suburban. It's a miracle it didn't catch on fire. I'm talking about island can get you overheated. (laughs) (laughs) 
You don't have to rev up the engine to get overheated. Mm. Just let it sit there and idle long enough. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> Takes discipline to stay right with God and out of Satan's snares and devices. He's got them set for you all. All the time. Waiting for you to just have a bad day where you just don't care for one day. And boom, right into the snare. He's got you. He addresses this discipline that's required. He addresses the deceivers in verse 10. For his letters say they. That's the deceivers. They're always saying something. And they say, for his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. Yeah, he says all that rough stuff in his letters. But when he comes around in person, he's just a weak guy. And his speech, contemptible. Here's Paul's answer to that in verse 11. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. Okay. They think I'm only rough when I'm in a letter. Just wait till I get there. You know what you're going to find out? I'm not only rough in letter, I'm rough in person. But he was filled with the Spirit, rough. Not filled with himself. He addresses how determined you have to be if you're going to stay out of the clutches of Satan and get the gospel to the regions beyond. Verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority. They still are questioning whether Paul has the authority of an apostle. Which the Lord hath given us. In other words, Paul's saying, I didn't just wake up one day and decide I think I'll be an apostle. The Lord gave this to me for edification and not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. I, I'm not ashamed, Paul said, that I'm an apostle. I'm okay with that. But these deceivers would have you to believe I'm not an apostle. Therefore, you shouldn't even listen to me when really what I have to teach you and what I have to preach to you will be a help and a blessing to you individually and to the church that you're a member of and to the world missions of getting the gospel to the regions beyond. He had a confidence of that. Verse 9, that... I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. I'm not writing these letters to terrify you, to intimidate you, to put pressure on you. I'm writing you these letters, and yes, I get hard sometimes, but I'll do the same thing 
parcel if you need it. But I'm not trying to terrify you. I'm trying to edify you. Build you up. Help you grow. He addresses those who are dedicated to the cause. Verse 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors. But having hope when your faith is increased. You know, that could be construed as kind of a jab right there. Or it could be interpreted as an encouragement. God's going to increase your faith as you go. Praise the Lord. Or when your faith is increased, could say uh, your faith is not what it ought to be. And it needs to be increased. What you get out of it depends on your attitude towards the message. That's true every service that we have. What you get out of it depends on your attitude towards the messenger and the message. That we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Paul's in a lot of things that I'm doing. Somebody else has already laid some groundwork. And I'm trying to build on it. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. These are those who are dedicated to the cause, no matter how severe the warfare may get. They're dedicated to the cause. I can't help but admire the young men that God's given us shady acres that are just so willing to do whatever needs to be done no matter what it might cost which is why we got to lift them up in prayer how does Satan work chapter 4 verse 3 Still 2 Corinthians. Satan works according to verse 2 through dishonesty, craftiness, and handling the word of God, the word of truth, deceitfully. Satan works through people who do those things. Verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. How does Satan work? Hiding the gospel from people. How does he hide the gospel? Well, he tells them, you know, Hinduism is the way of salvation. That's hiding the real gospel. He tells them that Mary is the mediator. Between the lost soul and God the Father. 
That is hiding the gospel from people. And a thousand other ways that religious leaders hide the gospel from lost sinners. And verse 4 of chapter 4 says, In whom the God of this world, little g, talking about the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glory light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. How does Satan work? By blinding people's minds to the light of the glorious gospel. He blinds them. He blinds their minds. Verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, just like he did in Genesis 1, hath shined in our hearts. And just like he shined in Genesis chapter 1 and that light started bringing life, he did yep. that in our hearts when we got born again. Yep. Yep. The light of the truth, yes, amen, sir. drove away the darkness and gave us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He, Satan blinds people's minds so they cannot see the light. You can get up and preach the light, preach the truth, preach the gospel, preach Christ, and somebody will be sitting there that's been some kind of religion for the last 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they can't see the light because their minds have been so blinded for so long by deceitful religious leaders who would rather bind people to their religion than to release them to Jesus Christ. That's wicked. That's wicked is what that is. He blinds their minds to God's light. Then in chapter 10, where our text is, he fortifies the minds of the wicked against God's truth. Verses 1 through 6. And then he works through all out attacks against missions by intense spiritual warfare. Verse 4, 5, and 6. How do we respond to Satan's warfare against us? How do we respond? You know, the whole world needs this lesson tonight in light of Russia and Ukraine. The whole world needs to know how to respond to that situation. Yeah. They're just fumbling around in the dark. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea what to do. How do we respond when the war is on and the devil is after you, trying to discourage you, trying to destroy you, trying to destroy your family? How do we, trying to destroy your church, trying to destroy the mission program? How do we respond to that? Verse 1, be Christ-like. 
Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. Paul said, I might be nicer when I'm with you than I am when I'm not with you. That's not because of the motive that the naysayers have. It's because I want to be like Christ. And when I see you, I want you to see the love peace, the joy of Jesus Christ Amen. through me. Oh, to have a church full of people that that's their heart's desire. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. It would help a church. It would help a home. It would help a business. The meekness. Meekness doesn't mean let people run over you. Meekness means submitted to God's authority. That's what meekness is. Or by definition, Webster says, submission to the divine law. That's what meekness is. Moses was the meekest man in the Bible. But he wasn't afraid to go put his finger in Pharaoh's nose, knowing he could die for doing it. Saying, God told me to come tell you to let my people go. And he did it over and over and over, with Pharaoh getting angrier every time he did it. Until Pharaoh couldn't wait until he had the opportunity to run over them with his chariots and his army. And watch them all bleed and die. But they didn't end up that way. Be Christ-like. Three things about that in verse number one. Boldness must be balanced with meekness. He said, I'm bold towards you, but I'm bold in the meekness of Christ. Secondly, God's power must be experienced in humility, not arrogance. Independent Baptists are some of the worst in the world of allowing arrogance to come into their preaching. God forbid that we should do that. There is no need there is no place for arrogance. And some men get to believing because they got the King James Bible and they got it rightly divided that they can get up and be arrogant about what they say. That will not work. That's not of the Lord. God's power is to be experienced in humility. As Jesus himself illustrated,
frustrated when he girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. They even recognized. Why are you washing my feet? I should be washing your feet. But he illustrated how low God could humble himself because of his love for sinners. To be Christ-like, we must remember that Satan is our enemy, not the people who are held by Satan's power. Our enemy is not the Pope. Amen. Our enemy is Satan who gets control of religious leaders. Our enemy is not even Putin. Our enemy is Satan himself who gets control of wicked people. And makes them callous towards other people. So that they can just give the order. Fire the missiles. Fire them at the hospital. Fire them at the schoolhouse. Fire them at this. Fire them at that. Kill them all. That's Satan. He is the destroyer. Putin is his puppet. You're going to have times in your life you're going to struggle with that truth. Because Satan will attack you through somebody. I've been a pastor here for 26 years. I've had death threats. I still get it. I still get probably one a month. That's just what a bad person I am. So what do you do? Keep studying, come to church, preaching. They're going to kill me. Help yourself. I'll just go to heaven. See you later. <laughs> so what? Meanwhile, I watch those who do those things, their lives fall all to pieces. And God keeps blessing me. Glory to his name. Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. He just Amen. keeps blessing me. So that's what it takes to keep me humble. Bring it on. Get in line. Take a number. Maybe your number will come up and you can kill me. Satan is our enemy, not the people held in Satan's power. Don't forget that. Be Christ-like, verse 1. Number 2, use spiritual weapons, not carnal weapons. For I beseech you that I may be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not swords. Peter got confused on that when he cut that servant's ear off. He thought that was a way to defend Jesus. 
Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, we have weapons more powerful than swords and guns and tanks and fighter jets and nuclear bombs. We have power greater than those powers. On our knees. Amen. In prayer. There's a band of men that got on their knees and prayed during World War II that God would stop Hitler from crossing the English Channel. Military strategists have said from that day to this that it was the greatest blunder in military history. Hitler never crossed the English Channel. He was right there. There were a bunch of Englishmen on their knees who had faith that God was greater than their adversary. And God confused their minds and stopped them on the other side of the English Channel. We have a power greater than the power of our adversaries. What kind of power do we have? We have the weapon of faith. The walls of Jericho illustrate what faith can do. They came tumbling down. Simply because these people believed God. They didn't have to throw one rock at the wall. They just walked around, stopped, blew the trumpets, shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. Boy, I'd like to have been there for that. <laughs> I'd like to have a video of that. Watch this. One little section still standing, yeah. untouched. Rahab. Where Rahab the harlot's house was. Everything else was flat. That's probably a little spooky. Look out the window. <laughs> Everything, everybody gone. <laughs> Except your little house. Yeah. And we with the scarlet line still hanging out. That's it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes, we have the weapon of faith. We have the weapon of love. And a verse of scripture that says, Charity never fails. I think it's the only thing that the Bible says never fails. Yeah, you can get mean. You can get angry. You can throw your words out. But love in action will be more powerful. It'll never fail. Charity never fails. I had three pastors call me when my son was in prison. Who either had a son in prison or one fixing to go to prison. And they said, how long have you been doing this? And I'd tell them. They'd say, how do you do this? I go visit my son and all we do is argue. I said, that's because you're preaching to him. He's heard you preach a thousand times. He don't want you preaching to him in the visitation room. Well, I'm just giving him the Bible. He already knows it. Give him some love. Be a daddy. Encourage him. Stop preaching 
to him. You're just making the walls higher and thicker. Rubbing his nose and how he turned his back on all your brilliant advice through the years. He don't need that now. He needs charity. One of them has probably told me ten times since I had that conversation with him. Preacher, he's out now. And I did what you said, even though I didn't understand it. And he said, we're getting along better right now Amen. than we have since he was about 12 years old. Amen. He said, I quit preaching to him. I quit quoting scripture to him. I just went in there and said, son, I love you. What do you want to talk about today? He said, I didn't believe you at the time. He said, but it worked. Charity never fails. You want to know how to get a prodigal to come home? Show him some love and action. That's what charity is. It's love and action. It's love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. We got weapons more powerful than anything Satan has. We can love the unlovable. And God will work in their hearts. Oh. That verse has got a hold of me. Ask my son someday. Did your daddy preach to you when you was locked up? He'd come to see you. Ask him someday. By the grace of God, I did not do it. Now he eats supper with me nearly every night at my house. If we pick up his boys from school in Montgomery every day, we hear my wife one. He works till he gets off work. He comes by the house, eats supper with us, picks up the boys, goes home, gets up, takes him to school the next morning. We do it all over again. That's why my wife and I can't go to meetings at the same time. One of us has to be home so that boy can go to work every day. That's charity in action. Love in action. You make sacrifices. You give up some time. You give up some gas money. And grocery money. Man, them two little guys can eat. <laughs> and their daddy can still eat. <laughs> After he's run that welder and that cutting torch for about 10 hours, he can eat. I don't think he even eats when he's at work because he knows they're going to be food in the house. <laughs> Charity. Amen. Never famous. Prayer never fails. It's more powerful than anything Satan has. Pray without ceasing. You know what else never fails? I don't, I don't have time to turn and read you the rest of these verses. The blood 
never fails. You get any sin you can think of, get it under the blood, and guess what happens? It's gone. Yeah. The blood never fails. It's more powerful than anything the devil's got. You say, how do you know? Because you can overcome the devil yeah. by the blood. Yeah. Yes, sir. Revelation 12, verse 9 through 11. What other kind of weapons we got? Ephesians chapter 6. The whole armor of God. And with that whole armor on, you can stand in the evil day. When Satan's coming at you like a flood, discouraging you, giving you doubts about God's people and, and God's preachers and God's church, and when he's filling your heart with fear and doubts and, and, and you're wondering what the world is going on, I say, just get up and put on the whole armor of God every yep. morning and march on to victory. How do we respond? Be Christ-like. Use spiritual weapons, verse 2 through 6. Keep your eyes on the Lord, verses 7 through 11, not each other. I know people are in trouble when they come to me and they start talking about, you know... Now, every time I come to church, these people are looking at me. You know what you're doing? You're thinking about yourself. You got to quit thinking about yourself. You got to get your eyes on the Lord. Keep them on the Lord. Get them off the people. Yes, people will disappoint you. The best will disappoint you sooner or later. They'll have a bad day. I've got where I have them regularly just to get them out of the way. <laughs> We're going to have them anyway, so let's just have one right now and get it over with. <laughs> when I was younger, I had more discipline and self-control. You get up, you better get control of all that stuff now, because you're going to get older, right man, and you're not going to care. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the Lord, not on each other. Paul understood that Satan used other people to criticize his every word and deed. And he didn't let it stop him. Well, I just wonder what people are thinking about me. It's you that's thinking about you. Everybody else will too. Keep your eyes on the Lord, verse 7 through 11. Accept the arena of service that God gives you to fight in. Verses 12 to 16. Quit worrying about somebody else's arena of service. Worry about your arena of service. For some of you, your arena of service right now is your family. That's your arena. And it's a fight. It's a fight. Almost every home is blessed with one wrestler. <laughs> Almost. I've seen a couple people, you know. How did they get all angels? 
<laughs> and finally, verses 17 and 18. Seek God's glory alone. Paul's actually in these last two verses quoting part of Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23, 24. I'll read those two verses and I'll be done. Jeremiah 9. 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, it's okay to have wisdom, just don't glory. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Our Paul said it like this in the chapter we'll be studying for a while, verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not that he commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. It's not who gets up and tells you what great things they've done for them. Who does God put his touch on and say, this is who I commit to you? That's my introduction to chapter 10. The heavy involvement in missions will put church, preacher, and people in the middle of the arena of spiritual warfare. Satan, people, circumstances, the world, your own flesh are all going to rise up against you. So be ready to battle. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And in all thy ways he shall make thy paths. Father, Bless the class. Thank you for these folks that have a hunger to learn and grow. And I pray you let this blessing be a blessing to them and an encouragement to them and a strength to them that they're on the right track doing our best to get the gospel in all the world to every creature. Bless the efforts that are in progress even tonight. Men who are hazarding their lives for the gospel's sake. May you give them divine protection from any adversary that would try to hinder or hurt or discourage. Work out all the details according to your will. If something happens they're disappointed with, show them how that it's your hand that's working it out. Every detail. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
there's a lady in Israel named Miss Rachel. I've told you about her before. She's 88 years old, I think. Was an Israeli Mossad agent when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And my wife prays for her all the time. And my wife sent some gifts to Miss Rachel. Because the Bible said your gift will make room for you. My wife didn't get to go. But she sent some gifts to Miss Rachel. Praying that God will open her heart to the gospel. So pray about that if it comes to you. All right, short break. Tim, peace in the next class.